Good morning. Welcome to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the pastor here. We're so grateful that you've joined us today. We'd like to frame our announcements in the five practices of fruitful congregations. These are practices we try to live out as best we can. If you open your bulletin and turn to the part that says radical hospitality. We want to make sure that you understand that we have um, worship bags. We have attendance register that will go by. You can give us any information that you like. We have prayer cards in every pew. And you can put down whatever uh, amount of anything that you would like to put down. Our prayer group will pray for it on Tuesday. You also have the um, uh, phone number that you can call 24 hours a day and leave a message and we will immediately get it and share it with that prayer group. And if there's a pastoral response, I'll be there as well. Uh, note the items coming on the church calendar. Uh, and if you ever want anything on the church calendar, how to do that. We have a United Methodist Women Fall Luncheon is coming up. They've asked you if you want to register for the meal, if you'll just just simply write it in the attendance register. Just put UMW meeting or uh, UMW meal and put the exact number out. If you've done that once, you're done. You don't have to do it again. Uh, the deadline is next week, so we want to make sure that you do that today if you uh, want to participate. We believe in passionate worship. You see um, all the people that volunteer in both of our worship services. We're so grateful for that. We have two excellent services. Uh, one at 9 o'clock that's uh, um, a non-traditional service in the gym and this service, uh, traditional service. Uh, both of them uh, uh, truly love the way that they're going now and uh, invite you to attend either. Uh, I was gone last week for homecoming in my home church at Woodland United Methodist in Rock Hill, uh, which John Wood and Miss Carolinda started uh, when my just before my parents went there. Wonderful experience, and I uh, appreciate uh, Dennis for um, leading both services last Sunday. It was fun to describe what's going on here uh, at Memorial. It's fun to come back. You know, I don't take that for granted. You don't always super excited to go back home and go back to work. It's it's a great work environment here, and I'm grateful for that. We believe in intentional faith development. And this is the last day uh, you can participate in the Children's Book Fair. There's flyers uh, in the back in the narthex if you would like them. Uh, just make sure that you uh, uh, get that today. Sunday night programming continues tonight. We have uh, the exact same time and uh, start time and ending time for children, youth, and adults. And we have great opportunities for all three things. Uh, the children start in the straight room in the Family Life Center. The youth start in the gym. And the adults are in the social hall uh, with Mike Henson with a great lesson. Uh, so we encourage you to participate. Some people think, well, um, oh, I didn't go last week, and I don't know. I might not know what I need to know for this week. That's not true. Every week stands on its own, and we encourage you to come. We believe in risk-taking mission and service, whatever we can do possible to serve the people in our community and in our world. Uh, the mission and outreach team missed their meeting uh, Monday night, this pat, uh, a week ago tomorrow. Uh, because of the storm, we'll be meeting very soon, and uh, we will be combining the money that you've given us for UMCOR uh, with a straight Burnside fund that uh, is an investment that we have that gives us money uh, on a quarterly basis. We'll combine that and make sure that we give as much as possible uh, to the United Methodist Committee on Relief and ultimately the United Methodist Volunteers and Mission. We thank you for that. We believe in extravagant generosity and you can see on the back of our bulletin uh, how people give, uh, the way that you can give as the plate goes by or if you would like to give uh, on your phone, you're certainly welcome to do that. I believe that's all the announcements for the day, so if you'll stand as you're able and join us for our first hymn.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and dead and buried. On the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead men. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of the rest. Amen. Please be seated. Our first scripture lesson is from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. It's on page 1765 in your pew Bible. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray together. Lord, today we speak of anger and we speak of forgiveness. We speak of strength and we speak of weakness. And as we read these words, as we pray these words, as we sing these words, as we proclaim these words, remind us, Lord, of how we are fragile, but you are strong. And when we ask about forgiveness in limited ways, continue to expand our minds and hearts, Lord, to your level of forgiveness and reconciliation. Be present with us in this service, Lord, and guide us to a place of mutual understanding regarding your amazing nature and will. Inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pray the prayer your Son taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. It's now time for our offering, and as I mentioned, you can see everything regarding that on the back of our bulletin.
may be seated. You'll have to forgive me. I'm getting over having a scratchy throat, and it bites me uh, doing the sermon. We're looking today at Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 21. And you can find it on page 1527 in your pew Bible, or within a couple of pages of that. It is a monster story, and so we'll we'll read different parts of it. And so if you like to read along, if you'll leave your Bible open as we read. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week in the lectionary, the story just before this one was about forgiveness and a path towards forgiveness between two individuals. You were supposed to go directly to that person. And if going directly to that person didn't work out, you were supposed to go get a couple of peers. And if that didn't work out, you should get a rather large group, even the church, to support you in the reconciliation with that person. Somewhat complicated process if you actually try to pull it off. Not hard to understand, hard to do, to go directly to that person and tell them exactly how you feel. So in this week's text, Peter says, right, so how many times do we have to do that? And I've done it before. I bet you've done it before. I bet it's been asked of you before. It's a person fishing for a limited response from you. If you are going to see the in-laws for a major picnic gathering and you know there's maybe drama, you know there may be all kinds of whatever, you might say to your loved one, how long are we going to stay at this thing? And then you might even give a response, go ahead and answer it for them. How long are we going to stay here? 45, 55 minutes? And you are fishing. Hoping that that person will say, oh yeah, that's probably good enough. I don't know how often that works out. I've never seen it work out. Um, I've seen students ask a teacher, how, how much of this is, is actually going to be on the test? How much are we going to have to actually retain here? And that means you are just hoping against hope that you can limit what the response is. And when Peter asks the question, how many times, and then answers that question already before Jesus has a chance to speak and then limits that answer. Now, he might debate that with me and he might have a fair point that if the typical number was three, you know, a good biblical number, then he did like a tip at a restaurant. You get the number, you double it, and maybe if there's 47 cents hanging off that dollar, you go ahead and throw that in too. And so the bill was $41. Uh, 10% would be $4.10. That's $8.20. I'll just give him nine. So if he says, how many times shall I forgive? I know typical is three. I'm going to go ahead and do seven. Seven good? Why does he do that? Why do we do that? Because humans have finite resources. We have finite patience. We have finite understanding. Nothing wrong with that. We were built that way. And as I said at 9 o'clock to a pretty large crowd, if we lumped all of us together, all of our knowledge, all of our patience, 
all of our skill sets and they were combined into a cumulative score, maybe we'd get pretty far up there. Maybe we'd do well, but individually, we struggle. Nothing wrong with that. The problem that happens is when we try to put our finite patience, our finite resources, and our finite understanding on God or on Jesus. And we say, that, that's about enough for me to handle. I'm going to need you to settle it down. I'm going to need you to dial it down. I'm going to need you to uh, uh, turn it back. Because I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how long we're going to be doing this. And I don't know how many people we're going to include. Look back through the Gospels. Look back through the Old Testament and see how many times humans do that. They go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's dial it back. So Jesus says, not seven times, but rather as many as 77 times. And if you look at other biblical translations, it's seven times 70 times. So it's 770, 77, 490, somewhere in there. Maybe to the point that we aren't sitting around counting. Well, it's been 41 times. He still puts the cup on the table without the coaster. It's been 57 times I've asked her to look when she's backing out of the garage. It's been 61 times that I've told you, don't take a cereal bowl to the back bedroom and leave it back there for a week. This is it. He's trying to expand their ability to understand and to forgive. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they have be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and, and uh, let him go. So I'm thinking you understand overwhelming debt. Either you've experienced yourself, a loved one has experienced, you've helped someone who's experiencing it, you get it. You ever walk off a car lot and say, have I made a good choice here? Even if you know that that's the car that you wanted, that you did a great deal of research, that you got the price that you wanted, we have more resources than we ever should. You have a great um, uh, representative at the dealership who tries to do exactly what you want. But there's something about putting that kind of money down for something that makes you, when you drive off or when you feel any kind of shimmy in the next month, you think, hmm, I have invested a ton of money in this thing. I stood in the graduation line in seminary. I was 25. I'd been in school since kindergarten. I wanted to be done more than I wanted anything in my life with academic study. To, be, to go right back up 85, to go to my churches in Seneca and just work. And I had peers in line wondering what they were going to do. They were like, I don't know. You know, I'm just going to see. Nothing wrong with that, uh, if that's your deal. I just thought, my goodness, the expense of all of this. I'm sure there's multiple experiences that you've seen in which you've gone through some sort of academic study, paid a great deal for it, and wondered, is that exactly what I wanted to do? Because we have student loan debt. 
How about buying a house? You ever sit on the side of the table where you're purchasing the home? I've done it twice. And I've also fortunately been on the other side of the table twice and been okay. But those sellers just sign one thing. The real estate attorney just puts one little sheet over. I think it's just one page and says, here, sign right here. And he says, you're done. You who are purchasing the home, I need you to sign here, I need you to sign here, I need you to initial here, sign here, and this is and this was anything. My goodness. Then you want to you say you're leaving the office and say you want to go to lunch? No. We're gonna be eating ramen noodles for the next ten years. You believe what we just signed up for? Especially if there's any sort of trouble with that home. These classic debts car, school, home, are things that Dave Ramsey talks about, the financial uh, peace expert. I've, I've gone through the class. It's amazing. And he asks you to look at the smallest possible debt you have and pay that off so that you no longer have that and now a little bit more can be added to paying this one off, to paying this one off, to paying this one off, to paying this one, until finally you're going after your mortgage with every dollar that you have. It's called a debt snowball and it's going the opposite direction from a, from a bad thing, rolling at you. It's a positive thing rolling for you. None of these things are a factor in this story today. The number is so astronomical Imagine if you went to the four surrounding neighborhoods next to you and took on the mortgage payments of every one of them with your current income. It'd be closer to that. And it'd be closer to you going around and having the mortgages of every house and four neighborhoods around you and the bank coming to you and saying, we're going to need you to come in today. You go into the bank and the bank says, we're going to need every dollar of this today. do that with just ours. Much less that amount. The money is astronomical. But humans have an infinite hope in their ability to get out of a jam. You know what he says? Be patient with me and I'll pay it back. How patient would I have to be with you to pay every mortgage in four neighborhoods surrounding with you? with your current income. Might you live to get to that point? No way. And see, that's why I think the significance of that amount in this parable, a story he tells to illustrate a point that was triggered by the question, what, how many times do I have to forgive, is a debt that's something that we cannot process. We cannot fathom. And I think that illustration is the potential gap between ourselves and one another and ourselves and God due to just struggling to be a human being and live and do what we need to do. We are completely reliant upon forgiveness. So while we might have an infant hope in our ability to get out of a jam, there's one place I think we don't. It's in the broken relationships that we have interpersonally with different people in our lives. And we might think, I, I don't know if I can ever forgive that person. And, of course, there's all sorts of stuff. It's a, there could be a sermon series on the way people harm one another, and the forgiving of that individual goes too far. And we're not talking about that today. 
we're talking about two people that could have the potential of reconciliation, figuring it's just gone too far now. It's just been too long now. It's been decades since we tried to fix this, and I don't know if we can. And that collects interest just like it would at a bank. But what if you heard it's forgiven? What if you heard regarding an actual thing like debt that your entire debt was forgiven? What if it was a metaphor and you heard that the grief and the debt that you felt of letting other people down was forgiven? I don't know that we ever truly believe it because we struggle to give it. So we don't know if someone's going to give it back to us. I've almost completely stepped away from college football on Saturdays. And that's because for so long, I expected my college football team to pick me up from a long, hard week. And if work was especially hard or difficult, I wanted them to pick me up. And when they could not, the reactions that I gave in my own home in front of my family were such that, I mean, you can't take it back. That makes them not like sports. If I say, um, nothing, I'm just doing this, I'm just pacing, and then go towards the TV, and that anxiety just explodes through the room. Am I making fun of it? Of, of you doing it? No. Am I asking you not to watch it? No. I'm saying that I could not control the way that I felt and literally did harm to my family. And I regret it. There are times when I served a church on a road that was the worst, is the worst road ever invented in South Carolina. It's Highway 61 in West Ashley in Charleston. Have you ever driven that one? Two-lane road, cannot expand, angel oaks on each side, exploding population. It's going to be an hour before you get home. I didn't leave at 4 o'clock when I had a meeting at 6 to see my family before traffic and then go back to the 6 o'clock meeting. I just said, I'll just stay. Girls were tiny. They were tiny and I missed it. Came home angry, upset that I wasn't home, not reacting well. And I regret it to this day. I did it for three years. Can't take it back. And if you got relief that that was forgiven, and I'm not saying they're holding it over me. I'm saying I feel that weight. There's a special nature to it. But it's still hard to believe that anyone could forgive what you did in those times. He heard it's forgiven. This debt he could never repay. And he goes for begging from his life in the central courtyard in front of everyone to walking down the aisle and back, out, back down the stairs. Verse 28. Sorry. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, what? Be patient with me. And I will pay you back. But he refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. That's incredible power. To forgive that man on the stairs. And the only way he could forgive that man on the stairs was that he was forgiven in the courtyard. Because if he's not forgiven that debt in the courtyard and interest is growing, he's got to have every dollar possible and take it from anyone in sight in order to have any money to give back to the king. He's forgiven here and has incredible power out there to forgive only because he was forgiven. But he can't do it. Why? Is he embarrassed by what happened two seconds earlier? Is he embarrassed that he was in front of everyone, perhaps his peers, and begged for his life, probably was on his knees and probably cried, and wants someone else to feel that? He wants to move that embarrassment off his plate and have someone else feel it? Potentially. Is he intoxicated with the feeling of someone begging at his feet? Maybe. Whatever it is, the emotions that well up within him on that opportunity on the steps cause him to say, nah, I'm going to send you to prison until you can pay me back. Which is, of course, a life sentence because you're not going to earn any money in prison. Comparable to 100 days pay, um, an amount that could actually be made up, these two humans can't figure it out because he says, I can't forgive you. It's a recipe for failure. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Man, ferocious response. The servants surrounding him who witnessed him begging here and judging there had one of the most ruthless versions of I'm telling I've ever heard of. You see, you ever see two people coming towards you and you know one of them is about to tell you something about them and the other one's just saying, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't tell them. I see the girls coming down the hallway and I go, oh, okay, here we go. I see <laughs> the girls selling me out for something that I did. And I'm like, man, come on, tell me, buddy. Tell her I ate all the cookies. Who knows what happened to the cookies? He says, I'm telling. They witnessed ultimate forgiveness. Then they witnessed vengeance. Which one stuck with them? Vengeance. They saw him choke his peer and they said, we're not having it. They went to the king and said, this is what he did. The king goes, one and done. I forgave you one time, it's on now. You're going to pay back what you owe from prison and you'll be tortured and you'll never get it back. An endless cycle of resentment, revenge, and anger. 
And you know what kicks it off? Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. What are we supposed to do with that? I can tell you that um, people who believe that United Methodist pastors talk too much about being huggy and about loving one another have an excellent point here. Because this text is laying into people. And it calls for ministers to lay into people and into one another. And say, you've got to recognize it. We're in the teens in this gospel. It's getting late with Jesus with his people. And they're still asking him, wait, how many times do I have to forgive? It causes Jesus to tell this story of total brokenness. And you have to ask, how did we get here? We got here with humans having limited resources and figuring God has limited resources. We started with humans having unlimited pride and figuring that they knew better than God does. We started, we ended with humans wanting ultimate judgment for that guy because that guy is the one that doesn't get it. We can do better. We can realize that there is no way possible if we worked for the rest of our lives entirely focused upon reconciling ourselves to God that we would make it. We just can't. It's a free gift given to us. An opportunity of love and mercy and grace. More than the mortgages surrounding us for four neighborhoods. But when we see someone offend us, or hurt us to the tune of a very small amount, we say, mm -mm, you better figure it out and apologize and make it up. It's a natural tendency, but I'm telling you that we can do better. We cannot limit. We cannot answer our own question. We can simply ask it. Lord, how many times should I forgive this person? Give me the strength to do it. Help me to get past my own limited resources because I know that you've forgiven me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll stand as you're able and join us for our final hymn, number 731. Okay, for our final hymn, number 102.